This is Chad Rubell. I'm one of the editors on Star Trek Discovery, and you're listening to Trek Untold. Hello and welcome back to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. This week on Trek Untold, our guest is not one you're going to ever see on screen, but they're an extremely important part of not just any Star Trek show, but really any show or film out there that you'll ever watch. Today, we're speaking with Chad Rubell, who was an editor on two episodes of The Short Treks and several episodes of season three of Star Trek Discovery. And in case you're wondering, yes, he is currently working on season four as well. If you want to see some of Chad's work, the short tracks that he did was Children of Mars and Ask Not, and he also edited People of Earth, Scavengers, Terra Firma Part 1, and There is a Tide from Discovery. You don't often hear from the editors of Star Trek shows because they're basically cogs in the post-production machine, but a very critical one at that. Chad has a great story about joining the post team at Star Trek, as well as working on these episodes, but if you've ever watched Fringe, Zoo, American Gangster, White Collar, Sleepy Hollow, or How to Get Away with Murder, you've seen his hands at work already. Oh, also, a little movie you might know, it's called uh, Team America World Police, and yeah, of course, I had to ask him about that one. Now, outside of this podcast, full-time, I'm a video editor, so I have a pretty deep interest in this topic, and hearing what the post-production workflow is like for a modern Star Trek show is something that's very interesting to me. You're also going to hear me repeatedly talk about my experiences a lot more than usual in that field, so, you know, sorry about that, guys. I was very interested in what they're doing over there at Star Trek Discovery, and I was super excited to chat with someone else in my field. It's a big change of pace from what we normally do here on Trek Untold, but it is a welcome one for somebody like me, and I hope that you enjoy it just as much as I did. So get ready to learn how a Star Trek show gets put together after the actors go to sleep and the editors get to work. But before we jump into our interview, I want to ask you, are you following Trek Untold on social media? It's the best way to keep up to date on who's going to be the next guest on Trek Untold and to learn all about the other cool things that are happening here. So if you're on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, go ahead and look up Trek Untold, all one word, and give us a follow and a like. If you'd like to help support the show monetarily, go ahead and check out teespring.com slash stores slash Trek Untold to check out some of the merchandise we have available. This includes t-shirts, mugs, phone cases, sweatshirts, stickers, and a whole bunch more. So go ahead and check out teespring.com slash stores slash Trek Untold. You can also support our show by visiting patreon.com slash trekuntold. If you become a paid subscriber to Trek Untold, you'll get first access to the show and a chance to ask our guests questions on future episodes. But most of all, please subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to it or watching it. And if you've already done that, please also leave a review and a rating if you can. Leaving ratings and reviews helps increase the visibility of podcasts on platforms like iTunes and other places like it. It shows that you're listening and that you like it, and that other people who are interested in the same subject are going to probably like it too. It helps us grow, it helps us get better guests, and it helps us keep bringing this amazing Trek Untold show to you. If you're already following us or have supported us in any other way, thank you, of course, for being a part of the Trek Untold family. There's a lot of Star Trek podcasts out there, and we're very grateful that you chose us to listen to. I'd also like to make a quick shout out to our friends at Triple Fiction Productions, who make some great 3D printed Star Trek inspired toys and replicas for fans of all ages and toys of all sizes. But you'll hear more about them a little later on in the show. Now, without further ado, let's beam up this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. 
and welcome back to Trek Untold. Now joining us on the other side of the screen, we have one of the video editors from the latest season of Star Trek Discovery, and that's Chad Rubel. Mr. Rubel, how are you today? I'm doing great. Well, life's good. I mean, as, as good as it could be in this uh, strange, crazy world that we're living in, but I'm very fortunate and lucky, and as much, much as things are crazy, I'm, I'm doing well. You, How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking. I, I got a lot of questions to you today about editing on Discovery. You know, full-time outside of this podcast, I do video editing, I do post-production. So it's nice to kind of nerd out. And I'm hoping today we can really kind of educate the audience on what the heck an editor does and what that role encompasses. Absolutely. I mean, whatever, the best I can explain it, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. All right. So let's go ahead and jump in. And I'd like to ask you the first question I ask all my guests. And that's, what's your earliest memory of Star Trek? Oh, for me, it has to be... Uh... TNG, the next generation. Like I'm born in uh, you know, 1979, so I, I feel like I was a little young when it when it when it was premiering uh, TNG. But like, so like when I'm starting to watch a lot of television, it's on it's on syndication, so it's on five days a week at some weird time, like six o'clock or seven or whatever time it was. So you just had a random episode, and like if if Q was in it, it was awesome. You knew it was going to be awesome, and it was on every day at the same time and, and just, just a very big TNG fan. I would say I was watching five days a week, but it was always on. So I, I feel like TNG is my first like step into, into, into it. And then probably DS9 after that, but TNG is definitely my first experience. So do you have a favorite moment from back when you were watching Star Trek as a kid growing up? Is there like an episode or a moment that stands out to you that you remember as just being one you really love? I remember uh, Whoopi Goldberg's character making a drink that once you, it touches your lips, it like evaporates. And I, I don't even know what episode it is. I just always remember that scene. It was just like a random one scene where, where she made this, this, some kind of drink that it would just evaporate. And that, that for some reason that's always has stood out in my memory. I've always enjoyed Q episodes it's, of, of TNG. I would say I, I've watched more TOS episodes since I've been employed by Star Trek than before. I feel like I knew all the classic TOS episodes, but uh, I'm definitely like rewatching like from front all the episodes since since I've been here. But something about that drink that, that I couldn't tell you what episode it was in. I couldn't tell you, but I've always remembered that one scene that always stood out to me. Would you consider yourself a Trekkie or were you just kind of like a casual fan? I would say somewhere in between. I mean, I, I definitely watched it. I definitely appreciate it. I wouldn't say I've watched 800 episodes of, of everything they've seen, but but I definitely appreciate it and, and, and love it and enjoy it. And even before I got the job, I have nothing but love. Obviously, my love for it has taken a step higher. I mean, it, it, it not only, you know, I live it every day and, and it feeds my family. It's, it's bringing me nothing but good good things to my life. You know, I have so much love and respect for the people I work with and and just what they do and nothing but good things to say. So let's get a little bit of background information about yourself, Chad. So can you tell us where you grew up, what your parents did and what little Chad wanted to be when he grew up? Absolutely. So I, I'm from Rockland County, New York, uh, suburbs of the city. Uh, a lot of the parents there were commuters. So that means we, they, a lot of them had jobs in the city and then would come back to that suburban life. It's, a, it's like a half hour north of, of Manhattan. Both my parents were uh, city teachers uh, in the Bronx. So Bronx, New York, my parents, my dad was a phys ed teacher at the 
one of the best schools in the Bronx, Bronx Science, if, if you're familiar with, if, if you're from New York, you know Bronx Science. And my mom worked in a, a rough school in the Bronx as a special ed teacher. And then she eventually moved herself up to like the chairperson of the department and vice principal in a, in a high school. But I think her, the, the special ed department, she has more people that she looked over in her special ed department than most high schools had in, in attendance. So it was a huge school and she oversees so many people. So definitely I, I have a family of teachers. My aunt and my uncle are teachers. And little Chad, what did little Chad? Little Chad didn't want to do a normal job. So in high school, I had a geeky, I say geeky high school. I don't know if it was so geeky, but I was lucky, I was fortunate to have a high school that went to, that had a television studio in it. So I did four years of TV as a high school student, which probably helped on my resume when I, uh, you know, my applications to college for sure. So I did four years of TV. I, I started editing on linear systems, which is opposed to the digital system. So it was like tape to tape. So like if you wanted to lift something out in the middle, you had to redo all your edits because it's not like you could splice the tape and close it up. So I always said like that was a great way to learn how to edit because I was doing everything the hard way. So like I had to think ahead, like because if I was going to make a lift, you would have to redo all your work. So you had to like plan out what you're doing. And we were doing like little news stories like I. We had, you know, we would do the blood drive and the, at, at the high school and we do little news stories about concerts and interview people, fundraisers. And, and we put out like a half hour show in, in high school, which was like, you know, what a great exposure. And I was so lucky to do that. I don't know if Lil Chad knew editing all the time, but I definitely gravitated towards editing through high school and then eventually college. I think you know, I mean, I, I was lucky to be exposed to all the fields. I, you know, I screenwrite, I shot, shot stuff in college, but something about being on my own on, in front of a computer or, or flatbed or, you know, cutting with film, it was just something that I could create on my own with, without anyone else, even though I work with many people now on the show. But it was just something about the editing thing that the quietness and just how I can rely on only me for, for a good portion of it really appealed to me. Now, did you go to college as well to continue this education? Yeah, so I, I went to Ithaca College, which and stu- studied film. It's funny. Whenever I my first year of college, we all of a sudden got like a grant, like a huge grant for for our school, so like, or for the communication school. So there was a lot of money. It's it's not USC. USC is like the best. I have much, I have a lot of respect for USC. I work with tons of USC people, but Ithaca's like a top twenty. At least now we're like a top twenty film school. So I, I studied there. You know. I wanted to be a music video director. I wanted to be a screenwriter. Uh, you know, I, I want, you know, film director. I want, you go through all these things, but I also wound up being an audio minor because I always felt like the, the better you are at it, the better you know all the other disciplines of, of filmmaking, the better you are at, at this. So like, you know, that's why I took all these extra audio classes. And I was like, oh, if I take two more extra classes, I can get a minor in this. And, and I was just, you know, I haven't touched the Pro Tools in 20 years. So like, but but I still have that brain and that thought of sound design and stuff like like that. And Ithaca College had a, one one of the reasons I went with Ithaca is because we have a semester program in LA. So I did my senior my full senior year in in LA and wound up graduating early. So that so I really didn't have a senior year at school. So I did three years at Ithaca in my 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 semester program in LA, and then I graduated early in December of two thousand, and then you know. I was like, I knew one of these internships has to turn into a job eventually. And then it wasn't right away. And there was a pro, you know, timing, but one of those internships, I wound up getting three internships while, which is probably overkill. But I, you know, I wanted something to turn into a job. And one of those internships, I 
worked for the guy who rented Avids on the Sony lot. So he always got, and he said, and he, and he would be like, like, just keep in contact with me. I always get offers for post PAs and whoever calls me last, that's the person I go with. So, so just keep in contact and, and, and do that. And then eventually gave him a call and he, he said, and he, or he, he checked in back in with me and said, Oh, the, there's a movie coming back from, from I think Canada to, to the States to wrap up, you know, I'll, I'll turn you on to that. And that was Saving Silverman. And I hit it off great. It was only like a two week gig, but I got the next full feature with the, the same editor and post crew and same director. And that's how I got my first, you know, full job on a movie and got in the union by the end of that. Now, since you're the first video editor we've spoken to on this show here, you know, we speak with a lot of character actors typically, and they'll tell us, you know, the way they start is they start as a background actor. And then maybe they get like one or two lines, another show later. And eventually, you know, maybe years after that, uh, they actually can get like guest stars kind of roles and things like that. So for an editor, what's kind of the hierarchy or uh, maybe the evolution of where you start to where you are right now in terms of job titles? Yeah. Well, anyone who wants to go into editing, there's no one right way. Everyone I work with had a different path and it's very unique, but this is, this is what, so I was a post PA on, I think national security, which was a Martin Lawrence film as the PA, I'd say to the, the film assistants, this was a, you know, it was kind of an added, but we also would conform the work print on film. I would say you guys want to do less work and I want to learn. So when I was not on a run, I would be like, show me how to sync dailies. So I was syncing dailies on a film bench. I was doing all, all these things by the end of that movie. They got me in the union as an apprentice editor, which is a job that doesn't really exist. It may exist in movies, but definitely doesn't exist in TV. And then eventually the job of film assistant became obsolete because of HD. So instead of like, basically they would cut in the avid and I would conform on a work print so we could project it in the theater. Because back when standard def was around, you couldn't project a standard def thing in a theater and get an audience screening. That's, it was just not the quality was good. So when HD came along, my job disappeared. So then I moved into television as an assistant editor. And then eventually I got a break on a, on a scripted show, uh, which was Fringe. And I worked all five seasons on that one. And I was assistant editor for, I actually think I was, a, I was an assistant editor for a long time. I think the thing with assistant editors making the jump in television, it's, it's so much timing. It's so much being on a show for a couple of years. And then they'd be like, oh, someone's leaving. Let's give Chad a shot. So you know, my first TV show, Fringe, was five seasons. And I'm like, oh, every show lasts five seasons. But then after that, you know, I probably wasn't ready or close to being ready by the end of Fringe, but it didn't happen there. But then I'm jumping from season to season, from show to show. They, each, they all get one season. And seasons are shorter now than it was when I first started. So Fringe was 20, 20 22 episodes a season. Now they're like 10, 13 episodes. And that's like a half a year's work. So you're like jumping from show, and then you have to go to another show. And then if you want to go back to that original show for season two, like, does it, does it work out timing wise? You know, it's, it's hard to stay on a show for a long time. If they're not, if their seasons aren't, if you can't stay on it because you're jumping from show to show, but eventually I got on a show called zoo and then I, it lasted for three seasons. It was also a show that was, you know, I had a ping pong between seasons and I had to leave a show early to jump on it, to come back a few times. So like, and, but, I did a season of Zoo, and then I did the second season of Zoo, but I got to co-edit an episode. On a lot of shows that I work, I, I cut like an act, which is like a commercial break. Like between each each commercial break we call is an act, and there's usually five to six acts in a, in a television show. 
as an assistant editor, I tried to always grab one. Now it depends on the assist, depends on the editor and, ha- and the show, how cool they are with letting an assistant cut their own act. But like, I would, I would always cut an act on zoo. So when, when season two came along and I had to leave a show, I said, I'll come back, but I want a co-editing credit. And I was the only assistant editor coming back. So they really wanted me, me to come back. So it was worth it for them to offer that. And then the next season towards the end of season two, I, you know, I did my uh, wiggling and I, I, you know, passive aggressively dropped hints that I want to be an editor next season. And eventually the showrunner came to me. I actually wrote an editor to one of the EPs that I'm close to asking for advice. How do I approach Josh with how, how I should go about doing this? And he never responded to me, but instead he showed Josh my email, which actually broke the ice in a remarkable way to me so that Josh came to me and said, as long as the three editors don't come back and there's a job opening, you know, because typically every show has three episodes, three editors per show. If one of them doesn't come back, you have, have your opportunity. Then I go off to go assist on another show. And then I'm like, just praying, praying, praying that one, one, one of these editors don't come back and get another job, which is what happened for season three of Zoo. So that's when I get the big bump. And also, I also it took me a long time to get that second editing job because once you get that one, only one person, only Josh, the showrunner of Zoo season three, was was the only one who trusted me. So oh, I had to go back to assisting for for about a year and a half. After that, you know, I have a family to feed. I'm a you know a very humble person. I, I need you know I got to take care of my business. So I went back to assisting, and then I had to wait till Josh had another show that his company was producing before I, I got I got another opportunity to be an editor, but that's the way that's the way it works out. So getting your second job is, is sometimes harder than your first. And this is essentially all freelance work too. Like you're not necessarily staying in one place for the entirety of your life. This isn't like an accounting job. You're essentially a freelancer going wherever the work is. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's like every six months I'm unemployed, or you know, so, you know. Luckily, Discovery is a longer gig than 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 other shows, but like. I've been working consistently since I've been in scripted television. I've been working nonstop. So very lucky, but it's, it's harder now to find editing work. I have all these assistant connections that everyone loves my work, but they don't know me as an editor as much. So it's, you know, you're doing your best. And yeah. Now, before we jump into a little bit more uh, in-depth Star Trek discussion, I wanted to ask you, you know, as someone who's involved in filmmaking, TV, things like that, uh, are there any f- film editors or anything, any movies, any films, any TV shows that you really admired from the editing perspective and things that have maybe inspired you or, or taught you some things? Well, for me, the, the, as far as teaching me, I, I'm, I'm so inspired by the editors I've worked with. Like, there's definitely the greats that, that, that I, you know, that, that I, you know, the merches, the DDL, like... I've learned more from the people that I got had the privilege to assist for. And there's things that, that every time I cut, I'm like, Oh, I cut this way because Doug, you know, or, or, or John did this. And one of the editors on, on discovery, John Dukowski, I was his assistant. So on fringe, I was his assistant and I learned so much from him. And then there's some things I learned from him that are more work ethic and work ethic is, is so important and just, certain things. So it's interesting. It's such a collaborative medium editing is that it's almost like you have to include the directors with, with the editors. And, and it's, it's really like, you know, they had to give you the pieces. You're all bouncing ideas and, 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 and people are like, Oh, so great about what you do. And like, at no point do I think this is all me. Someone had to shoot it. Someone had to do this. And someone, you know, a, a producer has to bless it, a director, you know, all these things. So 
you know, I, I grew up on Spielberg films. I, you know, I'm very classic. You know, I'm born in 79. So grew up 80s and 90s. And, you know, I watched The Godfather. I have all these. It's funny. It's funny because I have all these t- on VHS tapes. And my not growing up as a kid, my dad had, would tape everything off TV. And we'd have like all these VHS tapes. Then, and, and I just pull them and watch, you know, this pre-Netflix, pre, you know, all this digital stuff where it's so convenient, so great. I mean, it's not a complaint. It's, it's, it's amazing. So there's one other thing I wanted to talk to you about uh, that's on your resume because you talked about a few things you've worked on. But the one I am curious about is uh, you were an assistant. I think you were an assistant or an apprentice editor on uh, Team America, which is like one of my favorite fun films to watch. You got to tell me a little bit about working on that movie. That was the first job I actually got overtime on. So I, I felt, I, you know, I'm trying to think it's like 2004. So like, like I'm like 25. It, I, it's like getting overtime. I feel like a millionaire. But it was long hours on a, on a quick thing. They They brought me in. It was like, it was just chaotic. And uh, it's funny, one of the assistant editors on the show, I wound up assisting for him as an editor as my last gig before I went back to editing full time was for an assistant on that show. I mean, I didn't know there was like an edict, don't ask Matt and Trey for autographs. But on my every movie that I've ever worked on, I have a, a poster signed by the director, like 100%. And every single one of them has, you know, to chat, thank you so much. So on that last day, I'm like, I go over to Matt and Trey. I'm like, can you sign my poster? But then I, like, I also like make sure, you know, make it out to Chad just in case they didn't know my name. So usually I have a closer relationship. This was a little more distant on the show, but it was, it was long, crazy. It was a lot, it was a lot of like six, seven day weeks. It was right before the 2004 election. They were trying to, so it came out that this is the only reason why I remember it. So the movie comes out in October, 2004. So they feel like, Oh, maybe if, if, uh, George Bush doesn't get reelected. The world changes and, and the tone of the movie isn't. So they were in like such a rush to get this movie or just the, the schedule was so rushed. So it was like seven day weeks, long hours. I'm always like a cup half full person. So I'm like overtime, like, sure. Like I'll hang out, I'll do work. I'll, you know, that means I get more money. Sure. But not that money is my only motivating force, but, but it, it was very, very long hours and a tight schedule just because they were, they had a, a strong release date and, and it had to get out before, before the 2004 election. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. If you're a Star Trek cosplayer looking for props or a toy collector looking to spice up your shelves, Triple Fiction Productions has you covered. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D printed Trek inspired products from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. You can expect the same amount of care and attention to detail in any of the items in their catalog, whether it's a prop replica for use in a fan film, or part of a cosplay, or accessories and playsets for figures from Playmates, Migos, or Diamond Select. Own your very own tricorder or phaser rifle with working lights, the bridge of the Enterprise-E for your Playmates figures, or any other item from countless species and ships from the Star Trek universe. All products are 3D printed in the USA and are constantly evolving and improving based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit them at triple-fictionproductions.net or on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Triple Fiction Productions taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. Hi, I'm Jonathan Frakes. If you're of a certain age, you may remember me as Commander Riker from Star Trek The Next Generation. And my wonderful brother Daniel died with 
pancreatic cancer 24 years ago. They opened him up, they diagnosed, they said, you've got six months to live, and that was it. He died four months later. And at that time, there was a 3% survival rate. Since then, we've grown to the embarrassingly high number of 10%. But a dear friend of mine, and probably all of yours, Kitty Swink, is one of those 10%. She has survived pancreatic cancer for 17 going on 18 years. Pancreatic cancer is the third leading cause of cancer-related deaths in the United States, with a five-year survival rate. That's just 10%. And more than 60,000 Americans are estimated to be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2021. More than 48,000 will die from the disease because symptoms are often vague and be hard to detect. That's why I'm supporting the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, the leading patient advocacy organization committed to fighting the world's toughest cancer. PanCan is working hard to create outcomes for this devastating disease through its groundbreaking research in early detection and better treatment options. PanCan drives progress by funding life-saving research, providing personalized patient services, and creating a community of supporters and volunteers like you who will stop at nothing to create a world in which all pancreatic cancer patients will thrive. You can help support our important mission by donating today at pancan.org. Thanks for your time. We now return to Trek Untold. So, Chad, let's jump into some Star Trek talk now. And, you know, we know on this show from speaking to a lot of actors who have been in Discovery, it's a very secretive casting process. And they usually don't know that they're actually going to be in a Star Trek show until basically they get the position. Even then, it's they still don't really know much. So, you know, for the process of an editor to get hired on a Star Trek show, what is that like? I mean, did you even know you were going to be working on Star Trek Discovery? So it wasn't secretive for me. So I got an email from the post producer, April no, Sephora. You'll, you'll see her in every episode. She's a rock star. She sends me an email like, I don't even know why they, they reached out to me. I, like, I'm scared to even ask why they reached out to me, but no, no complaints. I'm so happy that, to be on it. But so I get, I get an email from her that they're looking for an editor, editor for either Picard or Discovery. They're, I guess they, they, you know, they went from two show, one show to two shows, and they, two of the editors went to Picard and two of them went to discovery so there was a slot open for each so i get i get an email from april i haven't even st- the show that i was working on before that was limetown i was about a week from starting limetown by the time i get an interview i i've started this job so i might as well so i put limetown on my resume even though i'm starting in a week i put i put the next job on my resume because i didn't have enough credits i felt or i just needed something to make it look a little better than it was but that you know but uh, so I, I put that on uh, when I brought in for the interview. I was just so happy to get an interview. I didn't think I had I, I didn't think I had the job. I didn't think I had a shot, but I wasn't getting interviews because at that point I, I just started my second editing gig. So no one was really seeing me. So I was just ha- I was just happy to be so like no pressure for me. And and the funny thing is, this is the first this, this interview was the first time I met Alex Kurtzman. Discovery is my third show that's created by Alex. But this is the first time I met him because he created Fringe, but what, you know he was he wasn't the showrunner. He was off writing movies or whatever he was doing at that time. Um, and then 
he helped create Sleepy Hollow, which I was an assistant on. But I came in on season three, and he was off doing whatever he was doing at the time. I was just happy to meet the guy that created two shows that that employed me for so much. And they're like, oh, we have a spot open for Picard and Discovery. And I'm like, any opportunity, I'd be happy to be with it. Picard actually syncs up pretty well with with when my other job is ending. But just to be on, on the show, long story short, I wound up landing Discovery, which was like five five or six months before Discovery even started. So I was like, wow, they hire people early. But I think they just wanted to lock someone in. So I knew I had the job job about five months early than, than the shooting. And like, I didn't tell anyone I was, besides my wife and maybe two other people, I, I, I didn't tell anyone I was interviewing for Discovery. I was just, not, not that it was a secret. It was just that, that I, I don't believe in jinxing and stuff, but like, I just, if I say something, it's not going to happen, but if I keep it quiet, it will. So then I landed a job. And then at some point they needed someone to do the shorts, short tracks. So I, I got the Discovery job and I, and I think John Dukowski who said like, why don't, why don't you hire Chad when they were looking for editors for short tracks? Cause they, and it was such a like, get your four, your uh, feet wet kind of way into the Trek world because it's like, oh, I'm working on two short episodes. You know, I, I meet everyone, but it's not like I'm thrown off into the deep end. So short tracks was a, a, a excellent way to meet everyone and get to know everyone before I actually got into discovery. So I want to ask you guys a little bit about what software you're using over there. And, you know, we mentioned a few programs today. So, uh, you know, just give people out there listening. Uh, the industry standards are essentially Avid, Premiere, and Final Cut, maybe in that order. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Pro Tools as well, which is an audio software. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of different things that you guys use for post, special effects, visual effects, like After Effects, uh, DaVinci, things like that, DaVinci Resolve. Um, so basically on Discovery, what are you working in? And what are the kind of programs that the entire post crew is using as well? Avid Media Composer is is like... The number one thing I use, I, that's what I edit on. That's that. That's that's all me. Sound editors and then music people all use Pro Tools, which is more of the sound sound design stuff. But yeah, at, Avid is what I've been using forever. I, you know, every time I, I look at a, jo- a job, my my first thing is like, what system are we working on now? I could cut anything. I could cut it any. Not that I know Premiere, but I can learn anything. It's all in my mind. You know. You know, one of the things I pride myself is how fast I am on, on the keys. Not that I'm number one in the world's speed, but but a lot of it is like, oh, someone has an idea. It takes you 10 minutes to, to try that idea versus two minutes and you're quick on the keys. You're like, oh, let's do this. And like I do a lift, close, do, do play. It, it just, it makes the whole process smoother. So Avid is number one for me. Avid is what I use. Uh, I touched a little Final Cut Pro, but never touched Premiere. But if if I had to... If someone said, oh, you, you know, you want a job, this is what we're doing, I will learn it fast enough and be able to transfer my concepts of, of things. Because it's just tools to do this, you know. If I, if I needed to cut on, on film and with splicing tape, I, I, could cut, I could cut a movie on that, you know. I have enough of a background that I could do that. And we talked about being fast on the keys. That's the thing that's also a little bit more exclusive to the post-production department, meaning, you know, when, when you're editing a video, a lot of folks are having one hand on their keyboard, one hand on their mouse. But uh, with certain programs and Avid in particular, uh, you can basically do everything just on your keyboard, which is really amazing. I've worked with a lot of Avid editors and like they don't touch a mouse. It's just like basically in the garbage can. They're just doing everything on the keyboard, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I definitely use the mouse and that. But then s- some editors, which I want to do this, but I'm, I'm, is they, they use a pen. I haven't done it yet. And I'm, I feel like I built up all this speed that that for me to stop and switch, that's the way to go. 
because it'll be better for my hands. And because that, that's the other thing about that, that editors is like, you know, we're, I'm sitting at a desk and am I like hunched over all day? Our posture's an issue. You know, it's like work related injuries and stuff like that. That, But uh, we, I work on a desk that stand, I can, I can raise and, and lower my desk so I can stand for part of the day. It's good to keep your body moving. It's, it, it, it's been amazing that, that it's become like industry standard to have desks that go up and down. It, just, just to sit in one position all day is like, it's just not healthy. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, and, and folks, we're talking about uh, using a pen to edit. We're talking about like a Wacom pen and tablets, uh, which you know a lot of illustrators will use to do things in Photoshop, Manga Studio, uh, different things like that. So a lot of different ways to do editing, which is kind of cool. Uh, there's really, you know, like you said earlier in this interview, there's really not one right way to do anything. There's always different ways to solve different problems. Absolutely. So your first two Trek shows that we talked about were those two short Treks, and that was Children of Mars and Ask Not. And, you know, Ask Not, it's a very fun, good short. I enjoy that one a lot. But Children of Mars is such a great one. And, uh, you know, when the fans first saw that one, there was just so much discussion over it. And what a surprise it was, because it takes such an interesting tonal shift uh, as it comes to the conclusion of that short. Uh, and I, I imagine that's probably a little bit of a unique challenge for you as an editor to do as well, because you've got to basically take this thing and take it from one thing to all of a sudden a sharp turn into this really kind of dark, surprising thing. Yeah, well, Mark, the director on that episode, besides being like a great human, like, Gave, it gives you so many options. It's interesting. Like a lot of people think, like, oh, they shoot the pieces, you put them together, and that's it. Where it's more like, no, they shoot way too much, almost like so much that 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 that, that you're like, why are we shooting this? This, and then you're like, oh, you get these pieces and these pieces. I've never watched the dailies so many times. The dailies are the previous day shoot, shooting, but uh, I've never watched the scene, the material for that last scene so many times over and over again without as I did in that last scene. There were long takes. There were all these moments. He's kind of like, he has like this philosophy of like chaos and like finding beauty in chaos. So he's like kind of like directing on the flow and telling the direct, you know, the DPs and the cameramen to move certain ways. And there's always like good moments. And I have a system of uh, putting green locators on, on all my, all the things that I want to like double check or put in a review. It's, it's, it's kind of like a selects reel, but for me to build a selects reel to stop, go back, put it in and out, ex, you know, cut it into a sequence. I like to just like watch the whole thing and then just click whenever I like something that I really want to. And then sometimes I build the selects reel after that. But I watched that last scene over and over again, all his material, just because I, there was so much beauty. And then when I turned over his director's cut, it was way too long. But, you know, the, the brilliance of Alex Kurtzman is that he sees all these, these pieces and he's like, oh, Okay, how do I how do we arrange this for maximum impact? It's funny, like the people that work at in Trek are such nice people. And I also had the experience working on a on bad robot shows. I always feel like it comes from the top. Like so Alex Kurtzman worked on, you know, came came from Alias, who came from, you know, a JJ Abrams world. But everyone at Bad Robot says thank you. Everyone made me feel like I, you know, even though I was an assistant editor. They always made me feel like I, I mattered, always was appreciative. And I, and I, and I get that same vibe working at, at Discovery with the secret hideout people and all everyone that's involved, Alex down, Michelle, every, everyone down, they, they appreciate it. And they're just like warm, kind people. And it's like, you know, like I'm, I'm the type of person, like if I feel appreciative, I work so much harder. Then you have like the other extreme, which isn't anyone I work with currently who like, you know, they're mean and you're afraid and you don't want to mess up, but you're on pins and, you know, you're walking on eggshells because you don't want to screw up. I'm probably not the best editor for you if that's the way, if that's, if, if you're going to be my boss, because I'm, I'm, I'm a collaborator, collaborator. I, I just want 
I want to make them happy. I want to do the best work for them. And, and that's the beautiful thing of all the secret hideout people. But, uh, but yeah, so Mark the, the, uh, was, was such a joy to work with. You know, he comes in and does, does his four days, tells stories, gives me a bunch of notes. But, you know, it's, it's about giving pieces and, and whittling it down. And it's a process. It's not, it's, you know, it's not just like, it's together, it works. What's the best way? What's the maximum impact? What, how, how, how do you tell the story? What's the mo- how do we tell the story in the least amount of time? Is it, you know, if this is an extra minute longer, is it, is it, is it less impactful? Are, is your attention span done after a certain time limit? Whether it's a 42-minute show or a 50-minute show, if, if that emotional scene happened five minutes earlier because you lifted five minutes throughout the show, it's, you know, you, you, it probably hits you harder. But where you now you're like, I just want, you know, the show to end. It's, it's, it's figuring all that stuff out to make, make the show the best possible. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned, like a lot of that credit obviously goes to the director because they know what they want to make. But so often there are films and TV shows that are saved in the edit. I mean, everybody talks about Star Wars, how that original cut was absolute trash. And if it wasn't for his editor, which was George's wife, I believe at the time, or uh, was bound to be his wife. One, one um, she basically salvaged that movie and made it into what it is today. Right. Yeah, I, I was just listening to um, there's, there's like the history of Star, Star Wars, like the untold history of Star Wars. And it talk, talked about every script, every everything, and just how like nothing was planned the way it was. But does that matter? It only matters when it airs. You know, Luke and Leia were never supposed to be siblings. It's like all, all, all these things that, you know, like came up as, as, as they went along. Yes, things can be saved in editing. It's, you know, it's, it's how do we make this thing work the best? It's really just rewrites. They're just, you know, everyone says the, the edit is the final rewrite of the script. First of all, the, the writers who are brilliant that, 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 work, that I worked with on Discovery, they had a vision, but like the idea that their vision got on, uh, you know, is shot exactly this way, whether it's the actor had a bad day, whether they didn't have a long enough time to shoot all the coverage, it was budget concerns, certain things just, just, you don't always get get what you want. It's tough for showrunners to sometimes see those director's cuts for the first time because they just had something in their head, whether the actors like thought to play it one way versus they thought it another. It's just, it, it sometimes is a hard process, but it's a process. You don't want to cut too deep right away either. That's basically in a nutshell. But uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the workflow of the editing department on a show like Discovery, which you know, I imagine it's not that different from other shows. But for people who don't understand how the editing process works, uh, can you kind of explain, give a, maybe an overview of where the raw footage begins, at what point you as the editor will get your hands on it, and how it ultimately will finish? Okay. It's shot digitally in, in the show shot in Toronto. They will send that footage to a, a house to process it. They get drives or cards or whatever, however they transfer that media, and then they'll upload, they'll sync the dailies, they'll take the sound, because sound and audios, you know, you got the guy recording with, with the boom mic, and he, he's got a, a mixer, because there's, there's and everyone has labs and all these things, or lavalier mics, they, you know, so he, there's a mixer controlling it, so they have a separate sound and audio, that they'll marry the sound and audio, and then they'll send it to my assistant editor, who will get it the following morning. My assistant editor will sync up all the, well, the dailies are already synced, but he'll group them. So sometimes they're running multiple cameras at once. So I'll watch like, I'll watch all the footage the ne- later in the day, but my, my assistant editor, Darren, he organizes everything for me the way I like it and gives me all the footage and uh, he'll group them all. So like grouping is, is like they shot three cameras at the same time. I'll watch, I'll watch on a split screen, three cameras running at the same time. For, Cause if they shot nine hours worth of footage, if, and it, and they were running three cameras at the time, I could watch, get a good idea. Sometimes I'll rewatch them with 
a particular angle full screen, but it, it'll save me more time if I can get the gist of it to cut my time where I could focus more on the editing work and more, less on the on rewatching every camera. But but I'll I'll rewatch them search particular things, especially if they're very different. So then I'll do my initial assembly and then present my editor's cut after we do temp sound work and temp VFX and temp uh, music in the background. And then I turn it over my editor's cut. Then there's director's cut. So the director, I usually get four or five days to, to do my direct, my editor's cut. Then the director will get four or five days to do their cut. And then, then we'll spend a few weeks with the producers. So, so in TV, the show showrunners and writers are, are at top. It's, it's, it's different dynamic than in movies where directors are usually on top and then writers are underneath, but the showrunner writers are on top there. So then I'll spend a couple of weeks with them and then we'll present the show for the studio network. And then they give us their feedback, which is great because the studio network are like a fresh pair of eyes. They were involved in, in the script process, but we, we we're too wrapped up in our ideas and, and certain things. So it's a great, great uh, sounding board. And then they give their feedback and then, we choose what we can and can't do from them, and then we lock the show. Then, because Discovery is, has such amazing VFX, it's like a whole other process. Is VFX has time to work. So once I lock it, then VFX works on it, sound works on it, music works on it, and and color, which is like just the finishing color to deliver it. But then that's a whole other process where and there's so much VFX. There's there's a lot. There's a nice window where they have enough time to do all their VFX because. I've worked on some network shows that, that don't have any VFX and, and they're locking and doing their final mix all like a week before it airs. And it's just like crazy time. It's like, it's too close to the wire, but they could get away with it because they don't have as many VFX where we have to plan. And, you know, there, there's a big window of time for VFX, but also as you get later in that season, they have less time to work on the later episodes or, but luckily discovery plans for all that and that's the genius of my boss april who's so amazing job getting get, delivering season three is, is it's a credit to everyone to come through but she was the architect and the plant you know who where and how everything does and whenever whenever you see her name in the credits like she's just knows april knows so is like the reason why everything airs like she's awesome so we're talking about the VFX shots and, uh, you know, I think one of the episodes in particular that had a lot of that was Scavengers, which you did. Are you basically working with essentially the shots that are first green screen, doing your edits, and then you're sending it over to the uh, VFX team, then do their stuff, and then you pump it back in? Is that the process? No. Usually the VFX team comes in later once I lock. So it's really myself and and more my assistant editor, Darren, who's like a wizard with these things. But I used to do the job when I, I was an assistant editor. So we'll, we'll, we try to te- temp in as much as we can. So if there's an element, we'll be doing the green screen. We'll, 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 we'll put the backgrounds in. And we actually do have a, a support staff in the VFX editors who help a little. But at some point when we start delivering episodes, they, are, they have so much work to do that it's hard for, for them to help. And they're just managing all the VFX and the versions and showing it to producers. So, so I, I don't want to make it seem like they don't do anything because they definitely help and they're more helpful in the beginning of the season. But it, somewhere in the middle of the season, they're, they're like so busy that that it's a lot. It was a luxury that they were helping. But it's really my assistant Darren and myself, and we just like we'll just find elements in like they have a thing called filmscapes where they where we have or storyboards. Even it's probably better. We'll take the storyboards and he'll like 
he'll uh, carve out the ship out of the storyboard and then make it into a, its own element. He'll like green screen. He'll green screen that or make it a keyable element, which if you want to explain it to them later after. So, and then like, well, he'll move the ship through the, the frame to let the effects know that are eventually going to do a good version, the, the final version, how this is supposed to go through. And, and like, like for example, um, in the scavengers episode where the, they're being followed by a little like ro- robot that's floating in the air and, and uh, they sm- smash it and the alarms go off. Well, Darren's really, you know, tracking that th- he's tracking the movement, but it's also that, you know, he's letting it float around. So then they know that when, when Burnham swings and he, He'll have it swing, go flying across the wall and ba- bounce it off there. Darren and I try to tap as much as we can. And by, by we, I mean, it's like 95% Darren. And I could do it too, but you know, for me to spend the hour or two doing a particular shot, one of the things I think that makes me a good editor is I'm good at assistant management because I was an assistant for so long. So I, I could do all the stuff that, I could do most of the stuff he does. He's actually a superstar, but... It's how how I divvy up work and how plan. I'm like, okay, I I know this is going to take long. I'll give this to you early, or I'll turn. Some editors will turn over an act to an editor to their assistant to do temp sound effects very late in the game, and I'm like, no, I'll I'll sneak things to him early because I want want, I don't want I don't want to get bogged down at the end, and I feel like we always do good job temping stuff. So so yeah, it's a lot of temp work by by us, and and with and, and and some help when when the VFX editors are available so to kind of paraphrase maybe a little bit it's essentially like you guys are doing like a very kind of more complex pre-visualization of what the final effects look like is that is that accurate that is a very condensed edited way perfectly of saying it that's what editing is for it's the long long version but i know you could trim this down after the conversation so i won't take it personal (laughs) but uh if i could sell if i can make it work and not be like ridiculous the better Temping work that we could do now can sell it better to to the producers and the directors. It, it just helps all around. It, it, it helps them visualize it better. It, if, if, if there's bad ADR, if there's bad sound, if there's bad music, they're just going to be pulled out and be like, what's this cue about? And be like, when they should just be focused on on the edit. And because the music that I'm doing is all temp, it gets replaced, you know, whether it's I'm using temp score from season two or from a movie or from another television show, it's all going to be replaced. But if I'm, you know, I just need to set the tone. I'm setting the tone right, right, hopefully, and then so they can focus. So it, it's just about making the process as smooth as possible so they can visualize what they're going to get. Now, working on a show like Discovery, how uh, much, I, I don't want to use the word backseat editing, but, uh, you know, how, how involved are the directors and producers when you're doing your editing? Are you working independently of them? Or are they often in the room with you in the box telling you, you know, I want this shot here, I want this shot there, that kind of thing? Both. I have my editors cut. I get I get, I get to present to the director. But, you know, I'm getting, Jonathan Frakes is sending me text messages and saying, this is what I visualized. Or he's telling the, the script supervisor, tell him I want this to be op- open or, you know. I'm working on 402 with Tunde, who, you know, the producing director right now. He'll tell the, the script supervisor, try to stay in the, in the master for as long as possible in this scene. Or So I do have the freedom to do what I want, but I also am there. I'm there to be read their signs and clues. So I watch dailies. I have a plan in my head, but I also see like I'm watching what they shot and be like, oh, this is what they intend. Oh, this piece is clearly over here or 
in in this moment, I want to be in a two shot or is there, it'd be awesome if in, in my head, I'm wishing for, as I'm watching the dailies, I'm like, it would be great if they had a shot that would rack from this shot, this side of book to, to burn them over there for this emotional beat. And then you're like, awesome. They shot it, you know? So I do have that freedom initially, but then, then once I turn over my editor's cut, I always say, once I turn my editor's cut, it's not my show anymore. And I, I'm really there to serve the director, to serve the showrunner. It's the showrunner show. We all have our own preferences. We all have this, but I'm making their show. So I'm not, I'm not there to fight. Not the editors I've worked with, but like I've seen other editors argue with showrunners and be like, no, that's not it. it you know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm a yes man. Like I have to do, you know, I do what they tell me, but like, when they want feedback, I'm there to help. But I'm also like, I'm there to take them down any avenue they want to see. Because sometimes bad ideas lead to good ones. You know, so someone be like, I'm unsure. Let's try this. Let's try that. You know, you know, I don't know if this is going to work, but let, let, let's try try a song here. All of a sudden you're like, that's what, that's how it's going to air. And, and it was awesome. But you have, you have to try these things. So, but, but yeah. So once I, once I turn over my editor's cut, I'm spending my four or five days with the director in the room and, Director's cut's fun to me because you, you kind of like you hear a little about the set and the gossip on the set, uh, set or what's going on or what was going with the backstory. But this, you know, this scene, this scene was freezing, you know, in, in 309, like Giorgio and, and Berm are freezing uh, when they're on the planet and it, waiting to go through the door. If Giorgio looks like uh, Michelle looks like she's freezing, she was absolutely freezing in, in, that, in that material. And that day, you could tell which shots were shot later in the day because the snow picked up as they were shooting the, the, it, sometimes the process is like Alex would just give us a bunch of notes and then I go work on them and then we represent them and then or work with Michelle and make sure it's good. And Michelle paradise. I, I, I know I'm, I keep on saying first names and stuff, stuff like that, but uh, hopefully whoever's listening to this know, know, knows everyone better than me. It's, it's all collaboration and, and, and stuff. So I don't get offended that like, just because I made a scene and, and it, got flipped upside down. It's not because I did something wrong. It's I, I delivered the show that the director shot and the director wanted to try something else. And then, then Michelle and Alex wanted to go a different route. And throughout all the trying and, and all these things, you hopefully land on the best version of the scene. And like, there's the, you know, I see a scene, I'm like, this scene is over after this line and everything after this moment can be deleted. But if I did that, if I, if I presented my editor's cut with that scene cut out, it's like I'm being disrespectful to the, the director and the writer and all that stuff. And, and in the end, that happened. But you kind of lose, lose them. It's, it's like the difference between cutting with an axe or a scalpel. I think that's one of the interesting things about post-production, too. And I think it's a valuable piece of insight, too, for folks who want to work in post is that, you know, while we mentioned earlier, you know, editing is very much singular because it's just you in the box working. But at the end of the day, it's also a very collaborative process. And you have to be willing to do what those people say and willing to take criticism and take different ideas because that's how the shows get made. You know, while you're doing all the editing, you're doing all the cutting here and there. But it's also still your idea. And at the end of the day, it's the director's vision. It's what they want to make have an episode. So, uh, you know, it's an important thing for folks who are watching to hear about and understand is that, you know, shows aren't just made by one person. And if you're going to be an editor, if you're going to work in VFX, uh, you have to be willing to take that information from other people and accept it and understand this isn't your baby. This is the production of a whole bunch of people working around it. I've never been active on Twitter until there was a pandemic and I didn't have anyone to work with and socialize. So I've got nothing but sweet responses from, from, from all the fans on Twitter. And they're like, you did such great work. And it's like, you know, like I want to be a humble person because, 
you know, I, I know a scene wasn't touched, but it was because it was shot so well or it was acted so well or it was from some brilliant idea that other people had and, and, and just and then we all collaborated and got there. So it's like I, ne- I, ne- I never want to take too much credit for a- anything because I, I, I know what I do and, I, and, 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 and what I, how I contribute. But part of my, my thing is, is channeling ideas and, and getting people to the point where they're happy. You know, sometimes directors like, I don't know if this is going to work. And I'm like, well, I'm like, well, well, I'm here to try, you know, and since luckily I'm not slow on the keys where yeah, it's going to go on a 20 minute tangent and then we waste time. Let's spend five minutes or two minutes and, and I'll, I'll try that. You know, sometimes I'm, we're riffing ideas and I'm trying to explain my idea. And then I'm like, let me just do it. It'll take me two minutes to do it and it'll take me three minutes to explain it. So let me just do the change. And then you tell me it works. And then sometimes they're like, great. Sometimes not good, but I want to do this idea. And then I had a director say to me, I don't want to see, I don't want to tell you anything about the scene. I want to see your version first. So, and sometimes I'll, cl- I'll cut it more complicated intentionally because I know it's, it's quicker for me to switch to the less complicated version. Like if I stayed in the master and just delivered them the master and then they're like, well, no, I want to see it all cut around and see everyone. Well, that's going to take me a while to, find the right performances from everyone. But if they, to go from that to the simpler version is a lot, you know, okay, here's the master. I think, I think a, a big part of being an editor is, 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 is personality and just like flexibility and just, you know, I mean, don't want to, I don't want to, I, I don't want anyone to feel like any idea is not worth trying. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And by the way, you're, you're really living the dream too. Cause you're getting text messages from Jonathan Frakes here telling you how to do a cut. That's, that's like the ultimate dream I want to have in my life. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a joy. Like, like I pinch myself every day. Like, whatever this is, I always say, like, I'm, I never want a real job. It's just, it's just fun. It's just fun. It's like I get to play a video game all day where I'm putting images together to tell a story and writing. I'm living the dream. And, and, it, and it's been a long goal. It didn't happen overnight. I was an assistant editor for a long time, jumping around from show to show. And I, luckily, by the time I got my big shots, my big opportunities... I feel like I was ready for a while, so I was less intimidated. Where if I would have got the job three years earlier, you know, I, I might have done just as well or whatever. But I, I'm not as scared. As I say this, I'm not like all tough and like like that kind of not scared. But I'm like, I know what I do. I know what I bring here, and uh, I do a good job, and I work hard. I want to put everyone in the best opportunities to succeed. I want to succeed, directors to succeed, and uh, I want the showrunners to be happy when when the show airs because. That that's the best compliment. Them them being happy is is, is what what I, I want. So whenever uh, they're done with their cut, I want them to feel like they've tried everything that they wanted to try, and and they're happy. So I believe for the short treks, you are actually working in house. But for this latest season of Discovery, this was done during the pandemic, and you were working remotely from home. Uh, so how did that kind of affect your workflow and the team around you? How did shows get put together in this bizarre uh, once in a lifetime experience uh, that we're all experiencing still to this moment? Well, funny thing is that like, and season, the way we worked did it in season three is different than the way we're doing it in season four. In you know March when everything, you know, April my my boss called all of us into the office and like first first you think like oh uh oh we're gonna get we're gonna get shut down, um, but she's like you know we're all gonna be working from home very soon, and then we're like she, we're just like brainstorming ideas. This is on a Friday and just brainstorming how how we're gonna do it. One of, the, one of the assistant editors was just copying everything on hard drives. I have my four episodes. I did 303, 306, 309, 312. One assistant editor would work the weekend and was just copying like 
terabytes and terabytes of, of media on everyone's like everyone needed all, all of us need a certain amount of overlap of drives. So like there's sound effects, music that we all share. So there's six, uh, three editors, three assistants, and two of the effects editors. And we all needed our material. So we all got everything on a hard drive. So I, I would get my three, my four episodes and the shared drives together. And I took a hard drive. I took, I took the computer from my office. I took two monitors from my office and I took everything home and was working. So normally we work on a shared media space, which is called a Nexus. It's one of the beautiful things of Avid is we all can share the media together. But once we went home, we were all working on our own hard drive. So we, I got all the media on a hard drive and came home, took my computer, had a coffee table. This, this set is, this, this desk is amazing compared to what I had for season three. For season three, I had like a card table and another and a side table. It, it was horrible. But now, now we're all set. We were in such a rush panic to get, get home with all this stuff. So when I created something, when I imported something, I would have to make sure my, I would send it to my assistant, the media. At first we were using Dropbox and they're like Dropbox. They were, then, then, then our security wanted us to use a different thing because they didn't want, for security reasons, they didn't want. So then we were just sending media through the internet I was always nervous. I, I had the entire show, my entire show on hard drives in my, in my office, in my house. Or when I say my office, I mean the toy room that I had taken over but for my kids. But um, I was always nervous, like, oh, the show only exists in my room. And, like, if someone sees that I have, like, a computer through my window, so I try to keep my shades closed all the time. But, like, someone could just steal the show from my house. This season, it's a little different, different where we're actually remoting into the the computers in the office. I house no media and we have to go through like a, a VPN to protect the signal. And it's, it's a little more comp, but back to season three. So like I'm cutting season three from home on local media and I'm streaming the cuts. So our avid company came up with a program called, uh, or an app or whatever it's called Pacific post live. And they stream our cuts out to, out to the producer. So they would give us notes on the shows and, and I, I would have, you know, playing it here. I've, I'm calling Michelle or Alex and listening to them on my, my phone with headphones on my, so I'm talking to them on my cell phone while I'm getting notes on this. So I'm like hearing double, even though everyone was pretty good about hitting mute. Because if I don't have mute or they have mute, they're hearing it through their TV and through my, my speaker on my phone. So it was just like that. But, the, but we made it work. And you know what? I'm so lucky I work with such kind, nice people. I felt so fortunate. So many people weren't working in all fields and in television as well. That I was so fortunate to be working that like, it wasn't hard. It was joy. The, the only thing hard about working at home for me is, is managing a family. Cause I got kids running around kids, you know, meltdowns like, like that, that's, that's the hard stuff is, is, is figuring out a family. Like my wife, my wife who's you know, she'll, she tried, you know, she took the kids out of the house so I can have this interview with you. It's like having a great spouse is everything or a partner or whatever, you know, is, is, is everything. So, but the hardest thing about working from home is, is, it's just, it's just managing a family and they're working for, they're, they're doing, uh, they're doing school in the background. So, so then internet becomes an issue, even though I, now I have two, I have two separate internets now. So, so I, I have work and if one goes down, I have a backup, but working from home, as stressful and crazy as, as it was, I know music had to like record remotely or everyone had to do individual stuff and mixing it took it longer and it was a lot more complicated. But, you know, 
besides the the personal human interactions of seeing people and talking to them face to face, my job was very similar. And thankfully, I had nice understanding bosses that like when there were complications, when they, when there's family, when there's you know just let let them know, and they're like, I totally understand. And but the family's part is is the hardest part about working from home, but. I, I'm just so grateful to be able to work. And now season four, like production has to go into the, like, like they actually have to go and interact with people. Like I'm sitting around in my house, like everyone who's so sweet and I appreciate everyone being nice, but I, 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 I got the easiest part of, of it. It's the, the, the superstars are the people on set right now. So you've worked on, as you mentioned, some short trucks and you've worked on season three discovery. So of the episodes you've done so far, uh, what would you say is one that you're most proud of the work that you did on it? I mean, I'm going to go with my first one just because it was my first one. So, and not, not, not to show any preference to the directors, but it was just, I'm having a blast and doing it the first time. And then got to hang out with Jonathan Frakes for four days and just, just, you know, sitting there telling me stories and we're talking, you know, talking about life and kids and just, there's a, you know, a random thing I, I, I asked him because I'm a Fish fan, the band Fish, and I, I'm like, oh, there's a track called Riker's Mailbox. What's the story of that? And then, you know, he, like, he goes, oh, that's a funny story. And then he tells me, you know, the band's uh, Fish is a bunch of uh, Trekkies, and the producer knew Jonathan, and, and, and they met, and he recorded so little for that track and stuff like that, or... It's, it's just like that. It's just, just getting to hang out. With, but all, all the director's cuts are like fun like that. But I would say 303 is my favorite just because it, was, I, it is my first and just it'll, it'll always have something special to me. Yeah, I wish I could see those director cuts, but that's never going to happen. I know that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so let's talk now, you know, with, with the pandemic starting now to be under control and season four discovery now starting to kick things off, things are moving along for that. Uh, how do you see the landscape for what you do as an editor changing for Discovery and for other shows in Hollywood? This is me on no knowledge of the, of, of the future. I think I'm, I'm going to be working from home for this entire season. That, that's just my guess. This is what editors have been dreaming about. I mean, I miss going into the office. I miss, I miss normalcy. I miss just, you know, I, I have a long commute to the office. I, I miss my books on tape, uh, uh, you know, Obviously not sitting in a car for like 12 hours a week is also a, ni- a nice experience. But um, I think there's going to be some kind of hybrid where where there might be a smaller system at home and where we, we can we can cut from home for during dailies when I don't have to work with a producer, when I don't have to work with a director. And then eventually we go into the office to work with producers and directors is, is, is what I think the future is. But I don't know what is on our show. But a friend of mine on another show was saying how they're saving a ton of money not having people come into the office. So I, I'm getting a stipend. I, I and this is not me complaining. I'm ha- I'm happy the this they, they but this other show was because I know we have other expenses that that maybe a new show doesn't have. But um, they were saying like oh they're making a kill they're, they're, they're saving so much. I don't making killing is right, but they're saving so much money keeping us at home. But at the same time. I don't know if I can have produce directors coming into my house house, but so it'd be nice to have like a somewhat office where we come in occasionally that might be the future, but what do I know? 
So has being an editor on Star Trek Discovery made you more of a fan, less of a fan of Star Trek? Because I, I know I've talked to a lot of folks who, you know, let's say the minute they work in the industry that they thought they love or working on a project they thought they would love, they start to not like it as much because it's just overwhelming their life. Has that been a thing for you or has it made you just more more of a deeper Star Trek fan? More more deeper Star Trek fan for sure. Because I'm like taking the initiative to watch more because I feel like the more I know other the other series, the better, better, I'm, better I am at and in this world where I get more of the references and stuff like that. I definitely have been in that person, that person who's like on some of my shows are like, yeah, I know how the sausage is made. And, I, and, and I've, I've worked at grueling, you know, 60, 70 hour weeks. And you know, I, I love the people that I work with, but I'm burnt out and on some of my shows, but getting, getting to watch the show air and seeing the feedback. Cause like, like I said, I'm new to Twitter and, and I'm only on it cause, cause of the pandemic. And, and, and just seeing the love and I know there's a lot of negativity and a lot of hate on Twitter, but I, I've been only feeling the love from, from fans and, and it's sweet and seeing what it means to people, you know, like I, like I know Trek is huge. I'm, you know, I'm not oblivious to any of this stuff, but to see, to, to actually follow some, you know, follow Now I follow some of these fans and see what it means to them. Them is such a, like, you know, I feel like I've become like, I don't know, emotional mess isn't, is, is the right word to describe me right now, but I'm, I feel more emotional and like just, just from being, I think, locked down and going, going a little mad in my house. But, but see, seeing, seeing what this means to other people. I also like, not that I never had an appreciation for the writers on my show, but it's like a newfound appreciation for them and how I thought season three was good, but to see the fans' reaction to it is like so like moving to me. And just to see what it means to certain people's lives, it, it, it's hard not to get a little emotional with, or or, or to touch you on a different level. That the, it, it's great. It, it, just the kindness some of these people have shown me is just it, it's been it's been really nice. And so I feel more closer to Trek than I mean, obviously I'm closer now because I, I, I I'm working on it. But it, it's 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 really been beautiful and nice, and it, and it's also. I think I made a joke earlier, but it's like all the things it's given to me. It's given, you know, it gives me shelter. It gives me life and my family. It's, it's you know, how, how can I not love all it's given me? And, and it's such a privilege to be on. And like, I know I'm just a small, I, I think I made a joke or not a joke, but like, I didn't know I was doing the 800th episode when, 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 when it, I'm working on it. I just someone, someone casually mentions it on, on Twitter and I'm like, and like, I really, I'm standing on the shoulder of giants and it's just like, you know, there's so many great people that came before me and you really like, how can you not acknowledge and appreciate all, all of that hard work? Cause you, cause I know, you know, I know how it gets made and to see all those people to get all that, to all that stuff before me. It's like, it's so, it's, you know, I have nothing but love for, for that. And normally in this show, the last question I ask people I'm speaking to is what's the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? But I think you literally just answered it right there. It's such warm, kind people in my family. You know, it, you know, it, it seems weird. Like, I don't want to be like, I do a job because I get paid. Because I actually, I do my job because this is what little Chad wanted to do. This is, I, I always wanted to do something in entertainment. I mean, I, I, think, I think with all that, my evolution of film school and, 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 and having a TV High school, high school with a television studio for four years. I always wanted wanted to do this, so it's like, it's 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 not work. 
I, I've, I've said this to Michelle, you know, uh, even on my hardest days, it's, 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 I'm having so much fun. I, I work long hours. I, you know, it's, 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 it could be grueling. It's, it's, it's a very, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, a, a laborer. I'm not, it's not a physical, but it's, it's really mentally, it's a lot of thought all day. It's a really mentally draining job. But uh, even on those hard days, it's just like, what do we want? How do we make it better? Because at the heart of it, everyone just wants to make the best show. You know, whether the director had, had one vision and, and, the, and the producers had another and the actor saw the scene a different way, we, we all just want to make the best show possible. Oh, and, and, and collaborating, you know, sometimes I'm just chat, I'm channeling the producers uh, and the showrunners uh, ideas. I, you know, I'm just, you know, it, like if a scene, a scene went with no, 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 no changes throughout the whole process, it's, it's, it's not me. It's, 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 it's the actors who clicked. It's the DP who, who shot, be- shot it beautifully. It's the director who m- motivated. It's the words that they were, you know, it's, it's such a joy. I, I, I'm really having fun and, 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 you know, and seeing how it, it affects other people's lives for the first time. Like I've met, you know, you know, I've, I've been in Hollywood for 20 years. I've, you know, there was no Twitter 20 years ago, but I've never been exposed to seeing how, how it touches people's lives. And I, and Trek touches people's lives more than your average show, especially with such a legacy. I'm fortunate. It's not work. I'm lucky they pay me because like, it, it's so much fun. <laughs> So, Chad, thank you so much today for talking to us about the role of an editor on a Star Trek show and just what an editor does in general, because we haven't had him on here before, and I'm glad we finally got one. So, yeah, really appreciate your time, appreciate your insight and your information, and I look forward to seeing what you do in Season 4 of Disco. Assuming you're working on it, because I know we can't necessarily say you are or aren't, but if you happen to. You know, like, if if me being a spoiler saying that I'm working on Star Trek 4, like... Like a uh, season four is like I'm I'm okay with it. If that's the worst thing I say say that spoiler wise, that that's fine. I'm I'm, ha- I'm happy to get in trouble for that. Well, I look forward to seeing season four and however many other Star Trek things you work on in the future. And I'm glad that you're one of us who's doing it. You're you're clearly someone who loves Star Trek and you're enjoying what you do. So that's just great that there's a Trekkie living the dream out there. And thank you for being interested. You know, it's really kind and of you to reach out and and I had a good time. So thank you. All right, thank you, Chad. And that was our chat with Chad, our first one with a video editor, and hopefully not the last. I hope this was informative for anybody who's interested in going in this field, and an insightful one for Trek fans alike. Normally at the end of these episodes of Trek Untold, I would have some behind-the-scenes facts about specific episodes or things like that. But since today we are focused on talking about video editing, I want to spend some time talking about Robert Wise. Robert was the director of the Star Trek motion picture back in 1979, but he began his career in Hollywood as a sound and music editor at RKO. He worked his way up to a film editor during the 30s under the tutelage of William Hamilton. And among his work during that time period back then was The Hunchback of Notre Dame with Charles Lawton and Maureen O'Hare, Fifth Avenue Girl with Ginger Rogers, and the Orson Welles masterpiece Citizen Kane, which earned Robert an Academy Award nomination for his work. He continued to edit for Orson Welles on his next film, The Magnificent Ambersons, where the director also asked Robert to help direct some additional scenes for the movie, and that became the day that Robert was bit by the directing bug. Besides the first Star Trek film, Wise is also known for directing the influential horror film Curse of the Cat People, the boxing movie The Setup from 1949, the original The Day the Earth Stood Still, West Side Story, The Sound of Music, The Sand Pebbles, and many, many, many more notable and award-winning films. While Roberts never edited any of the films he directed, it's safe to say that his expert understanding of the art of the cut influenced his directorial choices, 
And something that I hope listeners of the show will start thinking about the next time they watch a movie or show on television or on the big screen. The decisions made in editing are much bigger than you might think, but typically when they're done at such a high level, it's things that you never really notice unless you're actually looking for them. So gaining a critical eye towards video editing is something that's going to really change the way you look at media, and it's something I recommend that you learn about if you're really into films and television. So that wraps up this week's episode of Trek Untold. Thank you so much for checking it out this week. Please make sure that you're following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Trek Untold. That's one word, no spaces, at Trek Untold. It's the best way to get updates on guests, check out all the memes and other things that we're posting, and interact with myself and other Star Trek fans. If you'd like to support this podcast, go ahead and check out patreon.com slash trekuntold and become a subscriber to the show. Or check out teespring.com slash stores slash trekuntold to check out some of our merchandise. If you've been enjoying Trek Untold, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to podcasts. And if you're on YouTube, please give the video a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel, youtube.com slash nerdnewstoday. Leaving ratings, reviews, and comments are things that all help this podcast grow, and they'll cost you nothing but a few seconds of your time. Doing things like that, or even telling your friends or other Star Trek fans about the stuff you've heard on the show and making sure they know about us are huge helps to keeping Trek Untold growing. Thank you once again to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions. Go ahead and check them out at triple-fictionproductions.net. If you'd like to send us some feedback about this episode, suggest a guest, or ask to be booked on the show, go ahead and send me an email at trekuntold at gmail.com. And of course, thanks to listeners like you for choosing Trek Untold and making it your weekly Star Trek podcast. This has been Trek Untold. I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and until next time, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network, and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.